comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. together from remote galaxies are some of the most sinister podcasters of all time the long box of doom dedicated to a single objective the conquest of the comic book universe Hey everyone, and welcome to the Long Box of Doom podcast, episode two fifty. Can you believe it? Special double sized issue, hundred page, super spectacular. So hot, so hot. The Apparently, cops the cops don't us. want us to get to, yeah, to two fifty. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, I guess kind of an uneventful two fifty. We didn't really. We've kind of stumbled into two fifty. I would say at this point, we don't really have anything you know, big planned other than just, just normal comics BS talk. Uh, I think, I think we're fine. I know I've said this before, but I think we're finally kind of getting onto, uh, hopefully a more regular schedule with, uh, with recordings. Um, we kind of took a slight detour, I think with breaking bad, uh, that, that kind of derailed our normal Sundays. And, uh, now that, uh, walking dead is spun up, I think we're still going to try and cut back to, to Sundays because it just seemed like it was easier to catch, Walking Dead on the day after before we usually record on Monday than it was for Breaking Bad. Um, and part of that, I think, just as it was ending, I was really interested in watching uh, Talking Bad, and which aired after Low Winter Sun, so it just kind of like everything just, just kind of got sideways for about eight weeks there while uh, while we wished Walter White good day. <laughs> and let's put it this way. I like Walking Dead, but it's a show I can watch an hour later on the DVR so we can record. Breaking Bad's not that kind of show. Oh, come on, you really watched Low Winter Sun? Give me a break. I, <laughs> to be fair, I'm like three, four episodes in the can at this point. And it's one of those I think I'll just kind of watch, but I'm not dying to watch it. Now, I'm at the point where I'm just kind of curious about it, I'll say. Anyway. Well, I give the pilot, uh, not to get too far off on a rant here, but I, I give the pilot a try for nothing's on, and uh, I like all those actors. Don't get me wrong. The guy who played Morgan on The Walking Dead, Mark Strong, all those guys. But there was not just not like one character I could glom onto and identify with at all. It just it reminded me of better shows. But anyway, we're not here to talk about Low Winter Sun or Breaking Bad or any of those things. We're here to have some good comics BS. And since it's 2.50, just real quick, off the top of your heads, what are your top three LOD moments? you think oh well i can i'll tell you what how about i uh, go with mine and i'll give you a chance to think i uh i really think hands down the best moment i had since doing the podcast was new york comic-con 2011 uh and i know that one comes up a lot but we're on the cusp of new york comic-con 2013 uh and it's pretty bittersweet because i think for the first time since the con started we're, we'll have no representation at this con. And I, I mean, there's a lot of reasons for it, but it kind of makes me sad a little bit, but that was, that was probably the funnest and, and, and just the most meaningful 
time that I had doing this podcast. And, it, and a lot of it just had to do with, I mean, Jim, we'd met once before at a CGS Super Show at that point. Jordan, you and I had not met in person. I'd not met John in person before. Um, I got to take Glenn along with me um, and got to meet some other you know, folks at, at the con. And it was, just, it was just a good time. I mean, we just, um, you know, got to see some cool stuff. It was on the cusp of the Avengers. I got to share a cigarette with Jackson Public and Doc Hammer in the uh, parking bay. Of the, I never heard that. Center. Yeah, I told you about yeah, that. Yeah, That's awesome. Yeah. They were super cool. Well, actually, my friend Jennifer posed for some paintings that Doc Hammer did for his, like, quote-unquote, serious art show. So I actually had an in to talk to those guys. So I just wish I could have recorded it. That was a great time, though. And the year before, too, with uh, with Ken Morgan and Johnny. Uh, that was my first New York Comic Con, the one that famously recorded me. You know, saying expletives for five minutes as I was in sensory overload. That was a pretty great time. We've had some really good interviews. I got to interview Jim Starlin and, and Anthony Johnston and just like a lot of really great creators and Jonathan Hickman. And I mean, I don't know. I'm just so glad that we you know decided to start this little Watchmen podcast about six years ago or what have you. Uh, because I got a lot of opportunities to do a lot of cool stuff that I wouldn't normally have been able to do. So thanks, dudes. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, the, back to that. You know, just being able to talk to Kevin Conroy and um, oh yeah, that was great. Andrea Romano, Michael Jai White, that was a great interview. Yeah, and I I really do have to say, I mean, just real quick, since we're talking comics tonight, uh, I just ran the trivia contest of the Pittsburgh Comic Con for I think it's the third or fourth year, and everybody still knows us there as Legion of Dudes. So I'm sorry about the rebrand. Um, <laughs> it doesn't seem to be taking in Pittsburgh. You know, everybody says, "How are you?" <laughs> how are the, everybody says, "How are you?" How are the dudes? You know, we're in the program as LOD, so I guess that's, you know, watershed either way. But, um, yeah, everybody seems to know us still as Legion of Dudes. But, yeah, 250 episodes, it's, it's been awesome. Like I said, it's, it's going to be a lot, a lot of opportunities. And it's going to be a lot of excuses to watch some movies and watch, and read some comics. Because <laughs> now I have to do it for the podcast. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I'll, I'll echo the mentions of uh, New York Comic Con 2011. That was just... You know, recording in the hotel room with all you guys and hanging out and stuff. That was a ton of fun. The con was fun. I didn't really get to meet too many people, like, uh, celebrity-wise or everything. I met a couple, but um, it was more just getting to meet everybody and you guys and hang out and eat some pizza and clean up some broken glass. And Yeah. It was a lot of fun. No doubt. I guess if I had to pick a couple more, uh, some of the interviews that we had uh, were pretty good. I mean, we we interviewed Robert Kirkman uh, before we probably could interview Robert Kirkman now. <laughs> oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, same with same with Jonathan Hickman. Yeah. Say, well, I know. think I, I think Hickman we could probably still wrangle. I would guess, but for Kirkman, it was like pre Walking Dead TV show announcement. There was a lot of buzz and a lot of talk, so it was a lot of speculation. So that was kind of cool doing that. And then you know just just the whole Watchmen stuff. I think that was just a it was one of those moments in time where we just kind of seized something that was at the height of its popularity that it hadn't seen in, you know, 20 something years. So, uh, just, just, uh, those are, those are, I guess, three that, that really stick out to me. And plus, I mean, we have so much cool stuff going on now. You got Jersey Shore with uh, Jordan and his friends and you got, you know, the, um, the shield podcast and the walking dead pod. I mean, it's just, it's blossom. I mean, I, and I reflected on this as I was talking to people at the con, you know, about the podcast. I mean, we've really like become this, giant monster of podcasting <laughs> in a weird in a weird but but a very fun and great way and I'm, I'm just happy to be associated with you clowns so yeah but, but yeah i'd have to say starlin for me was huge because i mean that was one of the first comics i ever read it was like 
Warlock number seven when they relaunched the character or the first art by Jim Starlin. And um, so, I mean, that was big, big for me to meet him and Mike Grell, like some of the old time guys. So, yeah, it's been a fun ride. Oh, you know, getting to interview Bear McCreary. I forgot about oh, that yeah. one because I was just thinking of things at New York Comic Con. But, you know, I got to talk on Skype with an Emmy winner for for a little bit. That was a lot of fun. And Jonathan Mayberry we talked to. You know, there's a lot of great stuff, a lot of great memories and a lot of great books we've covered. A lot of stuff I would have never gotten around to or probably even heard of if it wasn't for you guys. No doubt. Well, uh, let's get back to what we're known for, bullshit about comics. That's the nah. best way to describe it. Uh, I'm sorry I wasn't on the last episode with you because I have been following the Infinity event on Marvel. Uh, not only have I been reading the core uh, books that are depicted in what Jordan so splendidly calls the hictogram uh, that Jonathan yeah. Hickman... Hictogram, hictograph, I hear it said a lot of ways, but we all know what we're referring to. We all know who came up with it first. It was Jordan. But anyway, um, <laughs> I have been keeping up with it, so I, I did listen to your last episode on that, uh, you know, that subject. And now... Uh, I mean, we're up to, uh, what, Avengers 19 and New Avengers 10 and Infinity 3. And some really cool revelations have gone on. Infinity 3 ended really well. So, I mean, let's get the ball rolling on that event. I think I'm the only one reading the DC Forever Evil thing. Am I right? Uh, Probably. Yeah. We'll get to that later, but um, I think you are. Infinity, I'm, but overall, I mean, since I wasn't on last week or whatever, I've been really happy with this so far. I, I like it when the events are big, you know, and this is like the biggest scale possible, you know, this is beyond galactic, you know, this is, you know, the, the guys that make the galaxies as toy, you know, as we'd look at a toy, you know, just very big scale. And I knew Hickman would bring that. And I, I really appreciate that in the event books, you know, I mean, events should have that kind of gravitas, that kind of scale, I think. Oh, absolutely. And tonight we're going to cover Avengers 19, then New Avengers 10, uh, Infinity number 3, and then Avengers number 20. It's it's quite a bit more than we would normally cover, or at least somewhat more than we normally cover in one of these Infinity episodes. It's, uh, in fact, an entire quarter of the Hickman pen stuff. But uh, ending at Avengers 20 will leave us squarely at the halfway mark of Infinity. And uh, while a lot of really cool stuff happens in these four issues, um, there's also large, large sections that are big battles or... You know, this big battle and that big battle, you know, Revelation, big battle, and it won't take us a long time to get through. And then we've got a lot of other comic talk to get to that has nothing to do with Infinity at all. So, in Avengers number 19, we pick up after the battle in Avengers 18, I, I believe is where we saw it primarily, where half of the team, or a third of the team, if you will, got captured by the Builders, or at least when we last saw them, they had been uh, blown out of their ship into deep space and were kind of near a black hole. Things were not looking good, and, and, when, and when we catch up with them, we see they have been captured by the Builders, who are being led by, I wouldn't say being led by, but they uh, their mouthpiece at the moment is a female Ex-Nihilo, Ex-Nihila, uh, Ex I believe they refer to her as, and uh, she really likes Carol. Meanwhile, the Avengers are on this planet called Ringworld, or a ring-around world, kind of like Halo, not exactly, um, but where they have a ton of refugees gathered after some of the major battles. Uh, you've got all the major heads of state. You've got King Jason of Spartax. You've got Annihilus. you got Ronan the Accuser. you got the Avengers. A whole bunch of other ones. And uh, they're deciding what they're going to do next. And they keep coming up with different plans. Different people are going to surrender. Different people aren't going to surrender because the battle is just too costly at this point. And finally, King Jason of Spartax, who's uh, Star-Lord's dad, for anybody who doesn't know, 
he goes over and he's uh, he decides to make a phone call, essentially, to the Builders to try and hand over Earth in exchange for the safety of Spartax, because he realizes, hey, the Builders really just want Earth. They don't really care about any of the rest of us. We're just in the way. And uh, he makes the call. They shut him down. They trace the phone call. And then they send missiles and ships right to Ringworld. And on the final page of issue 20, or of issue 19, rather, see, I told you this would be quick, uh, Ringworld explodes. Um, we see the big cosmic scale of, of things here with the explosion of the Ringworld or whatever. And uh, I know, I thought it was, uh, you know, we learned what a, what a great big jerk Star-Lord's dad is. <laughs> oh, yeah. If you hadn't gotten that impression already from Guardians of the Galaxy, it's not just a he doesn't like his son thing. He's just a jerk. Um, I did like the meeting of all those different heads and all the, you know, some of them choosing to surrender, some of them choosing to stay in the fight. Um, the whole thing with Ronan the Accuser and the Kree surrendering that plays out later, um, it's pretty huge, so. Yeah, and uh, one thing I kind of breezed over, and it's going to come up later on, and I believe Avengers 20, but it's touched on in Avengers 19, and, and that is that uh, ex Nyla when she's talking to Carol, you kind of find out the reason they're keeping these Avengers alive is because the Builders are many things, but they're very rarely confused or taken aback by something. In this case, they're very taken aback because while they no longer worship the universe, and Captain Universe in this case, they, they were not expecting her to show up with the forces that they are invading, and they certainly weren't expecting an ex Nilo to be with the forces they're invading, but more surprising than that, they haven't seen an abyss in thousands of years, and so they want to know... What in the world is that doing there with them? Plus, you've got uh, Star or Starbrand. Am I saying that right? Yeah, Starbrand. Plus, you've got Starbrand and uh, Nightmask. I'm not actually sure if Nightmask is there off the top of my head. I'm uh, kind of flipping through this on my phone. But uh, they want to know, these weapons that we built, you've got our X-God, you've got some weapons we directly built, and some weapons that were built by one of our systems. Why do you have any of these? So that's why they're keeping them alive for now, because they're just confused. The art by Lionel Yu just continues to really impress me. I, I think, I really think he he has come a very long way in his craft, and it just seems like the more he does, the more I enjoy it. Yeah, it looks gorgeous in here, for sure. So we then go over to of New Avengers, number 10. And we pick up where we left off in either New Avengers number 9 or Infinity number 2. Quite honestly, it, it runs together so much in my head that I can't remember exactly what plot points happen where. And usually they get uh, repeated elsewhere so you don't have to read all three books. But we just pick up after the point where Black Bolt reveals that Thanos is after a very specific person. And that is Thanos' son. And uh, we get some background from Black Bolt where he explains the whole... Uh, forgotten kings and a missing queen or whatever it was from the prelude to infinity and infinity number one we were a little bit confused what that was about turns out long ago in the past of the inhumans there was a bit of a schism a rift in the in the ruling families Um, and instead of like it being now where there's one king and four queens there was one queen and four kings they split they went off in the different parts of the universe and uh, we've always known about Black Bolt section, and we met some of the Universal Inhumans uh, in Hickman's Fantastic Four and FF run, but these are some other scattered tribes of Inhumans throughout the universe, some on Earth, some on different planets, Uh, but it seems that a long time ago, one of the ones on a distant planet ran into Thanos, got pregnant, ended up on Earth, and 
Black Bolt hands over the information to the Illuminati so they can find where this person is. There's six possible points on Earth. They're going to split up and go to each one, see if they can find anybody, and report back. Well, evidently, at the end of Thanos Rising, I didn't finish the miniseries. I was told this by someone who did, though. Uh, Thanos kind of got his groove on a lot. With everyone. Yes, with everyone in the, in the galaxy, yeah. pretty much. So that's and that explains why he has to call this entire age group from all these different species, you know? Um, I So that was the missing puzzle piece for me, at least, uh, when I, you know, the, he was revealed what the tribute was to Then, Right, right. Yeah, apparently uh, Death, Death A first kind of encouraged him to get it on with all these other women, and then was like, ah, to prove your love for me, kill all the babies. So that's his current thing right now. A little creepy, but hey, it's Thanos. What more do you expect? Uh, we also find out that last time we had been in the pitchless alternate universe or pitchless uh, sub-dimension that Black Bolt uses to communicate with the Illuminati, we had seen in one or two panels that Maximus the Mad was hiding out, and the question was, does Black Bolt know he's there? Because clearly they don't, and it's revealed here, yes, Black Bolt did know he was there, he was listening in for Black Bolt and gathering information, and uh, he wants to know, uh, what's your endgame, bro? Because you just gave out a bunch of this information to the Illuminati that's, you know, secret and human information. And Black Bolt reveals, uh, somewhat coyly, we don't have the full information, but uh, that he didn't give all the information or there's more information and he hand- hands over a very similar looking device, some kind of uh, some kind of inhuman book, if you will, or an in- inhuman, inhuman hard drive to Maximus. And tells him to uh, start up the machine, because Thanos is coming, because we already know Thanos is coming to Adelan for his tribute. And uh, Maximus is very pleased by uh, the fact that he's going to get to use his new device. Maximus is, like, to me, the uh, ultimate definition of a frenemy. He's <laughs> yeah. like, you know, he like he builds all these great weapons and everything, and does what he's, you know, he's asked to do by Black Bolt in the Royal Court of Adelan. Yet, he always has his own machinations going on, and you know it's just a matter of time before he loses it once more and tries to take over the throne. Uh, but I, I thought Hickman wrote him so well here, you know, just on the verge of, you know, you're not, you can't tell whether he's being antagonistic or helpful. <laughs> you know? He's kind of like a less overtly evil Loki. Right. And I think if they ever get around to making him a human's film, um, if they can get somebody in the in the league of Tom Hiddleston to play their Maximus the Mad, uh, you will have fangirls all over the place being equally happy <laughs> as they are with Tom Hiddleston as as uh, Loki. Right. So the Illuminati they split up. First, they uh, kind of go over uh, the the game plan and what their current statuses are. And uh, you know, New York was uh, was able to be saved from the builders and from or from Thanos rather. Uh, Wakanda is safe, but Atlantis was destroyed. And Doctor Strange, as last time we saw, he was being uh, attacked by the Ebony Maw. We never really saw the end of that. And it's very clear that something is still up with him at this point in the issue. So they split out. They go around the Earth to find the different Inhuman camps and scan for uh, the Inhuman that has some of Thanos' DNA in them. And uh, what do you know? It's Doctor Strange who finds the actual uh, son of Thanos in Greenland, in a kind of Grand Canyon-looking place, and he's been possessed by the Ebony Maw. Uh, the Ebony Maw's main power is being able to talk you into doing whatever he wants, but apparently he also has some type of possession or remote viewing or uh, astral plane uh, 
Remora type uh, yeah. t- type abilities as well that he can tag along for good measure, like a, like a spiritual leech kind of. Yeah, kind and of. Not only does he take you know spiritual energy, but he also can you know direct that person, like you said, remotely. Um, nice bit of you know, nice bit of dialogue with that character here too. You know, with it when he's you know telling Doctor Strange, and normally I would kill you know somebody who in you know accepted my embrace such as you, but I think I'm just going to let you suffer with the knowledge of what you've done for a little while. You know, just very much uh, something a uh, henchman of Thanos would say, you know? <laughs> yeah. And so we see Thanos' son here. He looks very much human or inhuman, but very standard uh, white guy, black hair. And uh, we know kind of from some stuff that's leaked out that uh, this guy's name is Thane. And uh, once some things happen, he's going to look a little bit more Thanosy and very much more cool and interesting. <laughs> I would hope so. <laughs> the, the issue ends with uh, Doctor Strange getting the call that there is an incursion. Another alternate universe is about to collide with our own, starting with uh, the alternate Earth and our Earth. And so he goes to meet with the Illuminati uh, in Australia. And uh, that is where the issue ends as we kind of get a you know, brief snapshots of all across the universe uh, with Wakanda as another invading force comes to them because... Thanos has been told that the time gem is there. Uh, Adelon is empty as they prepare for, or just about empty as they prepare for Thanos to get there. And Thanos is on his way to Adelan. Yeah, New Avengers 10 kind of really set the table for Infinity 3. Because everything is kind of set up in this, kind of pays off in Infinity 3. You know, Thanos arrives in Adelan and confronts Black Bolt. Well, I mean, we'll get to all that, but you know what I mean? Right, right. And uh, let's do that right now. Infinity number 3. We pick up with the destruction of Ringworld. And everyone kind of looking on in horror as uh, the explosions come. They flee uh, to various parts of the galaxy, refugee camps and stuff. We pick up with Ronan the Accuser as he decides he's going to surrender with the with the aid and consent and orders of the Kree Supreme Intelligence. They've decided that it is just statistically much safer for them to surrender at this point. There's almost no chance they're going to win. And so the uh, the remaining members of the council decide to uh, stage not quite a suicide attack, but try something the enemy wouldn't expect. Uh, and they take just a few small ships in. They get Hulk on board one of the world-killing devices, kind of like a Super Star Destroyer type deal. Uh, they get uh, a clerk from uh, the scrolls, the Super Scroll on another, and uh, they take over two of the world killers. They blow up a whole big section of the Builder fleet. And then we have Starbrand, who's been working for issues and issues now, since, like, Avengers number 11 or 12, I think, on kind of understanding his power and being able to control it. And he finally gets to the point now where he thinks he can control it. They've, uh, they rescue all of the Avengers who are captured by the Builders, and uh, that, that's where Starbrand was. They get him out, he unleashes the full power of the Starbrand, and pretty much blows up the rest of the Builder fleet that is in that section of the galaxy. It's a major win for everybody, but the story is not quite over. And a great art here by Jerome Pena and Dustin Weaver. Just beautiful stuff, man. I mean, I keep looking at these pages over and over, and just I'm amazed by the detail and, and the you know, just the, the design sensibility of some of these panels. Really, oh, really yeah, great stuff. And uh, it's really hard in, like, a giant event like this to not, you know, to get, uh, it's very easy, I, I should say, to get lost, you know, when you have this many characters, this many plot threads flying around, you know, and this much going on. But, I mean, it's all very easy to follow, and 
it doesn't feel cluttered to me in any way. It just looks really good. I really like that style. Right. And we get one panel kind of bringing us back to that moment in Australia as the incursion is happening. Or not one panel, but one uh, page that has a couple panels on it. But we don't really pick up on much of that story at this point in Infinity. That'll probably be more Infinity number two. Instead, we head over to the other part of the New Avengers story, which is uh, Thanos and Adelan. And Thanos gets to uh, the throne room of Adelan and finds just Black Bolt. And so we cut over to uh, the rest of the Inhumans to find out what's going on. And Maximus the Mad is ushering everybody into Eldrak. Now, for anybody who doesn't know the Inhumans, Eldrak is actually one of the Inhumans, but he looks like a giant magical door. Basically, his power is he opens his mouth, you walk through, and he will teleport you somewhere else in the universe. And he sends you where you need to be. It's not you can't choose where it's going to be. It's wherever you uh, karmically, destiny-wise need to be in the world, in the galaxy at that point. And uh, so nobody knows where they're going to go, and they'll probably end up in all different places. And then Maximus has this great little, uh, great little monologue. It's just him and Lockjaw left uh, outside Eldrak, which I wonder how Eldrak got off. I guess he can maybe teleport himself. I, I don't really know. Yeah, I yeah I didn't think about that. I was like, what? <laughs> Hopefully they didn't kill Eldrak. I like Eldrak. But uh, Maximus is talking to Lockjaw, and he says, uh, The last inhuman age. Look at the things we have built as they look upon the, uh, the big missile-type-looking thing. Look at what we have created. They call me the Twisted Maker, the Bent Builder, Maximus the Mad. I tell you truly, I am only mad because I have seen madness. I have armed the device. And so Thanos and some of his uh, infantry guys get to the Inhuman th- throne room, and he starts saying, you know, it's, you've given a choice, uh, the gauntlet, or I raise this place like everybody else. Uh, and so you, or you can just give us the tribute, you know, and it's, and it's all going to be fine. And uh, he, he asks, what do you say, little king? Black Bolt gets up. And we get a gorgeously rendered panel of Black Bolt screaming no. And it practically becomes 3D, like glassesless 3D, with the little blue and red edges on the panels. Uh, the machine that, uh, that Maximus was building activates, and he and Lockjaw teleport away, because Lockjaw is, of course, a teleporter. A huge uh, barrage of rubble comes at Thanos, who does his best to deflect it. And Infinity Number 3 ends with Adelan exploding above Manhattan and presumably from the way this panel is rendered, taking a large portion of the island with it. Reminded me very much of War of Kings. Oh, yeah. When they uh, yeah. made when they made the weapon that amplified his voice and turned it into a way to power their other weapons. Um, yes. It kind of reminded me of that, because, I mean, once Maximus says, I armed the device, I'm like, oh, crap, what's going to happen? And if only Black Bolt is sitting there, you know what's going to happen. You know, it's bad enough he's just using his regular power, you know, at that tone of voice, but you know, amplified by the machinations of Maximus the Mad, I'm sure, you know, caused even more destruction and, and uh, mayhem. So, great right, great right. cliffhanger, though. And if you bought a physical uh, copy of Infinity Number 3, you also got the Infinite Comics uh, Infinity Number 3 Against the Tide, I believe it's called, or something like that. Anyway, it's a fun little issue, just like the first one. The art is gorgeous, it's painted stuff. I really won't really get into spoilers, I think I'm the only one of us three who's read it currently. But uh, it's it's him fighting the builders and trying to save the scrolls, like we saw the first issue. And by the end of the issue, 
uh, one of the scrolls has ended up uh, with Sword, the uh, the kind of space-faring shield counterpart of the Marvel Universe, and uh, we, we kind of get some more information on why scrolls were showing up throughout the uh, throughout the Earth, and, and Sword was very concerned about this. This all seems to have taken place uh, slightly before some of the other stories we we've seen, and uh, one of the scrolls joins up with Sword because he's a scroll and he is going to fight. And uh, the Silver Surfer goes off into the uh, off into the horizon to fight some more builders. Yeah, it's interesting. I didn't think of it until now that Galactus is busy eating the Ultimate Universe, so he could not be yeah, you know, forced to be used against the builders. He, uh, you know, uh, Silver Surfer Nornrad is kind of a Ronin at the moment. He's a samurai without a master, or a surfer without a master at this point. Yeah, kind of fitting. <laughs> yes. And then finally, for our look at Avengers and Infinity and New Avengers, we've got uh, Avengers number 20 with a gorgeous cover with three of the ex-Neli on it. Um, Some very different looking ones. We've seen a lot of them at this point, but most were very humanoid. And these are still vaguely humanoid, but much less so. This is actually my phone wallpaper for a few weeks uh, back when they released the image. Nice. Yeah, I definitely think... I like this slate of covers much better. It seems this uh, the the next color in the rotation, I guess, this uh, tan color. Yeah, the yellow or tan or whatever has worked much better. Kind of a gold has worked much right, better than right. uh, red did. Blue, I thought was kind of fine. Um, green will be interesting. I don't really, I haven't really seen a lot of those. I just saw one of the purple ones the other day. That one looked kind of interesting. Um, but yeah, gold has worked out much better than red. That's for sure. Which is yeah. odd because. Normally red and black, hey, that's just fine. Stylistically, I like it, though. You know, the way they're of a piece. You know what I mean? They, yeah, sure. If yeah. you do buy all the floppies, they will look good together. So Avengers number 20 um, is a little bit out of order with the other stuff, and, and not so much. It's just showing you what happened before and after the big battle in Infinity number 3. So we have the Avengers who were captured. We get to see what happens as they're being uh, rescued. And we see that ex Nila, the female ex Nilo. Uh, contacts Abyss um, as the Avengers are leaving and and, uh, Ex-Nyla teleports off the ship or gets off the ship somehow. But she basically gives Abyss a message to please meet her. Uh, We then meet up with the what's left of the Galactic Council and they're trying to decide what they're going to do. They've had some big losses, but they've also had some big victories. That said, they're still hopelessly outgunned and outnumbered and they're weighing their options. And they decide... Well, why don't we see if Gladiator can uh, set up a meeting with the builder that is, you know, kind of occupying the Kree homeworld right now, and uh, we'll see if we can set up a meeting um, to try and work out some terms and and see if we can find a way to to win this thing diplomatically as well. And they go back and forth on that, and we also get some information from that builder who says he's about 600,000 years old, so he could be lying or it could be lying, it doesn't really have a gender, but if what it's saying is the truth, they live a really, really long time. Yeah, I think the Aleph says that he has lived that long, at least. Oh, that's right, it's an Aleph, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, because he's talking about how he's stayed in some places, and he's moved on from some places, and this is a place he just decided to stay. Um, oh, actually, I'm looking at it right now. That's definitely a builder. They look similar, but they have more rounded em- uh, okay. edges. I thought it was the, it, I thought it was the Aleph or about from, uh, from before. I get them confused sometimes too. You got to look really closely, but yeah, um, it is it is one of the builders. So uh, presumably the robots last a long time too. But 
builders live a really long time if they're telling the truth. We then pick up with Abyss and Ex Nihilo, who take a field trip to go see what that meeting was about. And uh, they get to this, this kind of moon or planet or whatever where they find Ex Nihilo. And as, as they ask, are you alone? She says no. And we get in this gorgeous, uh, almost full splash page, an image of about, I'll say about 50 conservatively, individually rendered Ex Nihilo. Yeah. It's Nihilai, rather. Yeah. But there's more in the background, and who knows how many there are. There's a lot. And it seems like they're based on different alien races. Well, that you know, Pierce and I were talking about this um, uh, around some recording of Jersey Shore, and our, my question was, are they based on alien races, or, like, there's one that looks kind of like the Brood, and other ones that look somewhat similar to various Marvel Universe races, were they the builders, or not the builders, but the gardeners that originally created those species? Like, are those species based off of them? Mm. Uh, that's a good point. Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, otherwise, it's just kind of like um, the Reapers from Mass Effect, where they, they would base themselves off the various species they took over. But this is kind of the reverse of that, which I like. And uh, so they start having this conversation, the... The ex ex nihili, getting keeping straight ex nihilo ex nihila and ex nihili is getting a little confusing. But uh, the ex nihili are very like almost worshipful of abyss. It's kind of like the scenes from the end of season three of Game of Thrones, where various people are looking at Daenerys Targaryen almost like she's you know a celestial Madonna type deal. Yeah, and they're they're amazed because as they explain. All of the abysses mysteriously died thousands of years ago, and they haven't seen one since. And the builders, basically, once this happened, they took them off of their job, which was to cultivate new worlds. And so they haven't done that for a really long time. And they've basically just been slaves to the builders for a couple thousand years, which gets our ex Nilo super ticked. And we see him do something that we'd only previously seen um, evil, if you will, ex Nihilo do, which is turn black and his Omega symbol turn gold. Which is an awesome look. Yeah, I much prefer the black and the the reverse look better than the forward look. And and from what I can tell, and what I've read in interviews, the color shift seems to be based on mood. So it's it's almost like blushing, if you will, but for anger. Hmm. And uh, it works pretty well, especially with the blue eyes, the blue eyes, black skin, and gold markings. And uh, basically, it seems as we leave that portion of the story. Uh, the ex Nihilo decide to band with our ex Nihilo and Abyss, who are none too pleased about finding out their their uh, their clansmen, their their brethren and sistren were enslaved, and it looks like they're going to rise up against the builders. One of the things, Jordan, that happened in this issue that's come into play is the band of heroes talking to Annihilus and looking at bringing the Annihilation Wave back. Which and the brood, right, right, yeah, bo- yeah, both. Which I thought were really interesting because, uh, you know, if you haven't read Annihilation Conquest, um, or Annihilation, you know that that was you, kind of a big portion of that story was that whole Annihilation Wave thing, uh, and the brood have kind of been a plague for a long time, and you know one of the things that happened many years ago was the brood were basically. Not completely, but for the most part, wiped out. Um, kind of like the scrolls were a couple yeah, years ago. Yeah, 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 yeah. Except it's been many, many years since since this happened in the Marvel universe, and so for things to get that bad, and the brood are kind of like a scourge on the universe. I mean, they're they're very much based off of 
aliens from alien, you know, that kind of thing. And so for, for them to be willing to bring forth the Annihilation Wave, and it's kind of cool because Annihilus makes no bones about the fact that, yeah, pretty much once we start it, I'm not going to be able to stop it. Like, I can't control this. So if if we decide to go this route, it's, it's, it's pretty damn bad. Right, right. And so the, to round out the end of the issue, they're trying to figure out, well, we don't want to unleash the Annihilation Wave. We don't really want to unleash the Brood. What the hell are we going to do? And uh, like I said, they were trying to have a, a parlay with uh, the builder who's on the Kree homeworld of Hala. And uh, they send Cap down there to meet with the builder. And uh, I guess we don't actually see that meeting. We just see him explaining what he's going to do when he gets there. And the issue ends with him explaining that our big aha move, our big game-winning uh, card up the sleeve, is we're going to surrender to the builders. And that is how we end... Uh, Avengers number 20, halfway through the Infinity event. Interesting play. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously, I think he has something up his sleeve. This is, the, I, you know, I'm, I'm imagining this is some sort of trick or something to buy them time or something that'll come to light further down the road. But, uh, well, I mean, if, I, they can, if they can make allies of the ex Nihili, yeah, you know, in, in yeah. their struggle against the builders, I think that would really go a long way to, uh, you know, making more legitimate uh, their you know their claim of victory or whatever. The only thing is, they don't know about that yet. Yeah, yeah. neither side does. It's going to be kind of a. And what if the ex Nihili decide they're not on anybody's side? What if they decide they just want a planet or five, and uh, they want to be left alone? I don't know. They seemed awful ticked off. So yeah, right. But I mean, like, what if they after they help destroy the builders? You know, presumably, I'm just guessing. But what if they decide? Yeah, we're not really your allies, though. We want to be our own people and want to be separate and want to be left alone. Yeah. It's kind of an interesting event from a lot of perspectives because there's really two things going on. And it's really easy to get lost in one aspect of it for the other. Like, it's 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 really easy to get so ingrained in the story of the space battle and what the actual heroes are doing that you kind of almost forget about what's going on with Thanos and and the Inhumans. So it's kind of a really cool thing when we kind of cut back to it to kind of break up the action a little bit that you, you're like, oh yeah, there's this whole other story that's going on. It's kind of like, a, it's kind of like a sitcom where you have an A, B, and C story, except instead of an A, B, and C story, you have two A stories um, or kind of an yeah. A plus and an A story. But I love that structure because for me, whenever I read something like that or watch something like that in a movie or television show, whatever, Whatever story I'm in, I always want to be in the other one. And it, it has nothing to do with the quality of it. It just has to do with if there's two major things happening, I'm constantly going, okay, let's get back to the other one now. And as soon as we sit to that one, it's, oh, now i got to find out what happened in that last part of the last scene with the other thing. And it just gives you that momentum and that sense of I've got to find out what happens next, but in the other part. And then when I'm there, I want to get back to this part. And it's, it's a ping pong of emotions back and forth of following the story in a, in a good way. Yeah. And I, I must say, the art on all of these books has just been outstanding. I mean, from, you know, not, you know, not just the pencilers, but the, you know, the just the overall quality is out outstanding. I mean, inking, penciling, uh, coloring, it's it's all been very good. And while these artists aren't exactly the same style, they're similar enough that the book tonally, all these books tonally feel like they all mesh together. 
Uh, and it's just, it's really, really something. I really hope when they collect this in some sort of expanded hardcover that they collect all the books in the, uh, in the hictograph in, into one. And we don't just get like a hardcover of Infinity 1 through 6, that we get it with all of the other stuff in there. Because to be able to read this in, in just one big oversized collection, uh, you know, and Hickman has a very heavy hand in the design and the graphic layout of those books it's really going to be one of those centerpiece kind of uh kind of books and it'll be 16 issues so that's doable in like an oversized hardcover sure make a, yeah. nice, make a nice omnibus that's for sure yeah <laughs> oh i'm sure there'll be some kind of crazy avengers new avengers infinity omnibus so we're probably f- four or five of them by the time this run is over yeah yeah because it, it very much fits into like uh you know that that's kind of like immortal iron fist size uh, you know, a lot of these issues, I think, are double-sized, especially the the Infinity issues themselves. But then you, you lose a couple pages with the, you know, you wouldn't need the recaps in in a, in a collected edition and, and whatnot. But I just, I can't wait until uh, that happens. But yeah, like you said, just the, the, you know, this whole Hickman run of all these books, having it in, in omnibus collections, which I think down the road we could pretty much guarantee. I mean, all of these, these new guys that are starting, I call them new guys, but that Marvel are bringing in, I mean, you know, Hickman and Remender, you know, Aaron, it seems like all of these guys, when they do some sort of larger body of work, it gets collected into a nice addition eventually. So a lot of it for me is, is just holding out for that, for that nice big book. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see how that dynamic of Avengers, new Avengers and stuff changes after Infinity because they're also, they've been teasing that at New York Comic Con they're going to announce a bunch of new books. One of them being a new book from Hickman and Spencer and uh, the, the the teaser word, all the images have been a single word, a big number one for first issue and the creative team, the the writers, I forget the artist off the, off the top of my head, I apologize, but the writers are Hickman and Spencer, Nick Spencer and the word is global and it's green with, I think, silver edges, which to me says Abigail Brand. So it's possible we're going to have a Hickman-Spencer uh, kind of co-written sword book after this is done as well. So how that's going to fit together with this as well, I, I, I just do not envy the editorial guy who has to figure how to, you know, determine what order to put books in in these omnibi if they are kind of, uh, you know, combined, sort of like the Fantastic Four FF ones were, or yeah. are going to be, rather. Yeah. But it's good reading. <laughs> yeah. So I've been talking a ton about Infinity. Uh, I, I know there's some tie-in issues. I've read a couple, but I think, Jim, you've read more. Uh, somebody else take away the, the predominant talking, A, for our listeners' sake, and B, for the sake of my throat. Well, I've been reading Matt Kent, uh, his tie-in, uh, Avengers The Hunt. And it was kind of a cool concept. What what was going on is there was a uh, they decided to have a competition between all the different academies and schools for uh, super-powered young people that are all around the uh, world. The Xavier School, um, the Avengers Academy, the Ladvarian School for, for super-powered uh, citizens, uh, the Wakandan School, there was an Atlantean School, the Fantastic, uh, the, the uh, FF, um, the Moloids from the FF are representing in here. So what they're, Love the Moloids. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're in love with She-Hulk in this. So, um, basically, uh, they, they brought all these, you know, super powered, uh, teens together. And they also make mention of the, of Avengers Arena. So I guess that's still in continuity or whatever. 
But uh, they bring all these teams together to compete in what they're going to call the Contest of Champions, which is a, a shout-out to an old miniseries that Marvel had back in the day. Um, but as they're about to begin this contest of, of sorts, um, Infinity happens, or the invasion happens um, on Earth, and Atlantis is destroyed. And uh, these kids are forced to work together. You got it's a really cool mishmash of characters. You got Quentin Quire from the Xavier School. Uh, you've got like uh, Black Panther's protege from the Wakandan School. You have uh, um, um, uh, Bentley Six 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 and the Moloids from the FF. Uh, all you know interacting together um, with with some new characters too. It's pretty pretty cool mix. Matt Kent writes it really well. Uh, the art's pretty sweet as well. Uh, so I mean as Tie-ins go, you know, tie-ins can be great, tie-ins can be bad. Uh, this tie-in was actually, uh, to my mind, pretty good. I, I'm enjoying the story so far. Kind of, um, you know, like, you, I thought it was going to be, as, a, as I first read it, I thought it was going to be like a take on um, Hunger Games or Battle Royale or something like that. But uh, it's very much not that. It turns out that, you know, there's, um, like I said, the, the invasion happens during Infinity, uh, on Earth, and their contest of champions becomes a fight for survival. And uh, the Latverian School of Science, that's the name of it, um, where there's a new Baron Blood, for instance. And uh, all the Doombots who train them there look like uh, robo-nannies. It's kind of weird. But uh, Matt Kent's writing it. Steven Sanders is the artist. I'm enjoying that. Also enjoy, I'm enjoying Infinity Heist, which is kind of, uh, it, it's funny, it's um, the supervillain thing. They realize that all the Avengers are gone, and uh, but it's by Frank Thierry, and uh, the artist is uh, uh, Al Baranuevo, and uh, they realize these these uh, lower tiered uh, criminals realize the Avengers are all gone; they're in outer space. So, um, Spymaster um, decides he wants to get uh, a bunch of guys together to steal Tony Stark's armor while he's gone to steal Tony yeah. Stark's highest tech. Um, it's, it, so I guess he doesn't realize that Tony Stark's still on planet then? I guess not. Which just figures he's preoccupied. Right. But he, he gets, you know, these characters like Whirlwind, and uh, he, just, he, he recruits these different supervillains that, that you recognize um, from from Marvel. Uh, Blizzard, as I said, Spymaster is kind of the uh, the mastermind behind the whole thing. And we get uh, very much a Venture Brothers uh throwback kind of thing we get to find a super uh, villain nightclub called the black market um where you can hire henchmen or uh have somebody whack your neighbor or whatever uh it's very much like the superhero nightclub from the last season of the venture brothers uh but in the marvel universe so that that part is really cool and it has like uh, uh also you know constrictor from the serpent squad i i love it when they, they throw together like all these um you know low-level villains or what have you and uh, and throw them together. Super villain team up. Modox Eleven, that kind of thing. The superior foes of Spider Man right now, is a, which is fantastic. Which is a, but we'll get to that yeah, later. Yeah, <laughs> it's a great book as well. But this kind of reminds me of that it's got that heist thing going on. Uh, Titanium Man is in on the heist as well. But basically, they want to uh, the the scheme is to get in and to steal the tech of Tony Stark while he is otherwise occupied. So um, it, it's a pretty good book. It's pretty decent. It has like very uh little to do with the main infinity story but it's a nice side spinoff so it's funny i read i didn't read the heist but i read the hunt and actually i let me take that back i started the hunt and i i bailed out i just 
I don't know what it was about the book that it just put me off. And I don't normally like bail out and not finish a book once I start it. But the art really, I don't know, just something about that. It's almost like Mike Allred kind of style. And for me, that's like in superhero books, that doesn't really work for me. Um, it just felt kind of... Are you telling us you don't read FF currently? Uh, I do not. Oh, you're missing out, sir. Yeah. Um, and, and not so much for the all red thing. It's just, it's just, I'm, I, I'm, I'm just kind of scaling back somewhat. So I just, I just kind of avoided that, that I hear you. wing altogether. But yeah, the art just really kind of put me off and it just, it just felt kind of like silly. I, I don't know. And it felt too close to, to some degree, like Avengers Academy, which I really am enjoying. Um, but just this, this concept of, you know, these different groups of the younger heroes getting together. Um, and, and again, it didn't really have too much to do with infinity. I, I kind of flipped through the rest of it. Um, it. It didn't really have too much to do with infinity until the end. There were some moments that were kind of funny, but overall I just, it just wasn't, it just wasn't my cup of tea. So I don't, I don't think I'm going to continue on with that. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to reading the heist. That one looked like it would grab me a little better, but I, I just haven't had a chance yet. I've checked out uh, the Infinity and Nova tie-ins, as well as the uh, Superior Spider-Man team-up tie-in. Guardians is not really tying in quite yet. It's kind of, it's still set before because I've had so many, um, so many setbacks and and delays in that book. Nova is slightly tied in. It's fun. I'm I'm enjoying Nova. I wouldn't say it's anywhere near necessary to read if you um, want the full Infinity experience. It's good if you like Nova. Um, and the same with the Superior Spider-Man team-up. That one's actually really fun and ties in more with, I guess, Mighty Avengers, which I haven't been reading. But it's, again, not really necessary to to get the full story of Infinity. But fun stuff. I've been reading Battle of the Atom. And it's been really good. Uh, it It does suffer from that Bendis syndrome where... It feels like they're taking a ten-part story, and it could have been told in six parts. Um, it 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 seems like it's not moving as fast as I would like it to, but it it is really interesting. I mean, again, sucker for the time travel. So you know the the crux of it. We talked about this before, but the crux of it is the original X Men have come to the present, and they did that at the beginning of the all new X Men book uh, that launched as a part of Marvel now. And there's some future X-Men that come back to the present and tell the the current, the, the current X-Men that the original X-Men have to go back to their own time and they have to go back right now. They have to go back now. And it's, it's really kooky because it's like a future version of beast who's mutated yet even further where he has one horn and, and he just looks really funky. Um, it's some mutated form of Iceman where he's like an ice Hulk. And kind of a wizard looking guy too, right? I saw an image on Reddit. I, I thought it was Iceman. Yeah, and he's kind of lost his uh, intelligence as well. Yeah, he's just com- completely mindless. Um, yeah, the one you're talking about, Jordan, is... is I, I don't want to spoil it, so I won't go into that. Um, okay, fair enough. Uh, but as a part of the future X-Men also is Deadpool... Which is kind of funny because he's like, the future X-Men are trying to convince the current X-Men and the original X-Men that they have to go back because of how bad it is. And Deadpool's response is like, 
hey, I'm a part of the X-Men. How bad do you think it has to be for me to be a part of this team? <laughs> like, it's got to be pretty effed up if if they if they ask me to join up. And and there's uh, Zorn, who we find out. Again, I won't really spoil it because that that's kind of a big deal to the story. But, but the Zorn character comes back. There's the older uh, Kitty Pride, um, And then one of the runaways that that's a part of the X-Men on the team too. And they're a part of the future gang that come to the, to the present to send these guys. It's back. the youngest member of the runaways, right? Yeah. I saw an image yes. of that yeah. and she's all kind of awesome now. Yeah. Not that she was never not awesome before, but she's extra awesome. Yeah. Uh, and so a lot of this is just a fight with a certain group of the X-Men that feel like, Hey, these original X-Men should be able to exhibit free choice. And if they want to stay, they should be able to stay. And who are we to say so? And there's a lot of fighting, and then something happens at the end of the fifth part, which is the halfway point, where um, the original Jean Grey is is given information as to what happens in the future, and at that point she agrees, like, look, we all need to go back, and we need to go back right now, uh, and then... Given Matt, information about her future or our future, like, f- her future but our past, or our future total? Um, our future total, like... These future X-Men come back and say, hey, the future's so jacked up that you guys, if you don't go back right, if you go back right now, you we can avoid this. If you don't go back now, it's going to be really bad. Um, and so nobody really wants to believe it. They won't say what it is. They're being very cryptic, which is kind of typical Bendis. Like, I'm going to throw something out there and then take six issues before I'll explain what exactly it is, um, which kind of does get annoying at times. Um, but the battles are pretty cool. The way that these characters have delved, have divided off into different factions has been pretty interesting of a mix of both current, current and past and future X-Men. They all kind of, kind of form their own little groups, but something happens at the end of five that I think throws it on his head and, um, magic, the original beast and the original Iceman all teleport to the, to this future um, and what they see really kind of surprises them, and it kind of ends there. So that the the next part will be out here pretty soon. But it, it's it's been pretty good. I'm really curious as to how this is going to resolve, because like I said, it, it's not uh, things aren't what they appear. You don't really know who's telling the truth. You don't know what the agendas are. You don't really know what's going on. Um, and all of it seems kind of weird to me because if the past X Men never go back, then it would like completely alter the present and the future. So I don't understand why some of these characters from a narrative perspective are arguing that they should be able to stay like the young Kitty pride and the young Rachel gray are kind of kind of end up falling on the side of letting them stay. You know, who are we to, to, to decide what's best for somebody else? And it's like, don't you understand that you're going to pretty much unravel everything? If these people don't go back and do what it is they're supposed to do, then you know, n- nothing happens. So anyway, it's, 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 you know, the typical time travel, make your head hurt kind of stuff, but particularly oh, with Bendis. Yeah. 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 But overall I'm really enjoying it. Um, and I'm really curious to see where it goes and how it resolves itself. Okay. Well, DC's big event right now, in case you uh, don't know, is, uh, the forever evil thing. And basically what it is, is the, um, the crime syndicate, the old school crime syndicate of earth three, has come back to Earth-1, where, um, you know, I presume the DCNU exists now. Is their current Earth-1? I don't know. But they come back to Earth-1 and say, look, we've killed the Justice League. Here's Superman's cape. Here's Wonder Woman's lasso. Here's 
Aquaman staff. We beat the crap out of them. We kill them. They're dead. We're in charge now. And basically they decide to, you know, rape, pillage, and loot the DC Universe. In issue two, that's why we're having the whole Villains Month thing in DC, where uh, instead of Superman in your comic, you're getting Bizarro, or uh, instead of Batman, you get the Joker's daughter, or what have you. Um, so, you know, the, the heroes, the, the, the main core Justice League are gone. Uh, and presumed dead, as told by the crime syndicate. In issue two of, of issue one of Forever Evil, they capture Nightwing and beat the crap out of him and take his mask off on TV and, like, out him uh, to the world. They kill off a third-rate uh, DC character named the Monocle in a very funny way. And uh, basically what's happened is uh, not only are the crime syndicate that we know, like Ultraman, Superwoman, uh, Owlman and uh, Power Ring. There are analogs of other DC characters too. There's a woman named Atomica. There's a Black Lantern named Deathstorm, who's kind of like Firestorm. And the it turns out the Earth, the Earth Three Alfred uh, is a guy called the Outsider who kind of made all this possible uh, by coming over to Earth One and letting everybody in. So uh, that's the storyline right now. And Forever Evil Two, basically uh, the crime syndicate continues to lord over everyone. Uh, Lex Luthor pops his bizarro clone out of the chamber five years too early uh hence you know the origin of the uh, new dc universe bizarro and the teen titans get the living crap beat out of them which i am not sad to see because they've been written by scott lobdell and really been kind of awful since the dc and you started so that's forever evil uh i know the whole we talked about the whole flap of the 3d covers or whatnot uh i actually got to see some of these 3d covers when i was at pittsburgh comic-con and i really wasn't all that impressed with them so yeah, I mean, I, I saw one at my local shop. They're, it's odd to me that they're even calling them 3D. They're lenticular. There's a difference. One's not necessarily cooler than the other, but they are different. Um, but you know, it was fine, but it was just a lenticular cover. I, I wasn't that excited by it. Yeah, I, I am total agreement with you there. Most of the DC stuff I've been buying has been on the digital side. I've been getting the Beyond books, uh, I've been getting Injustice, uh, Batman 66. I've been enjoying quite a bit, so... The only real, uh, I think, Astro City, but that's a, uh, a Vertigo book, and that's not really a DC continuity so much. So, uh, of the two, I definitely have to say Infinity is the better event. I'm enjoying it a lot more, and um, Forever Evil's had some cool moments in it, but uh, Infinity has just been a much better overall story. So, it, It's funny that you bring up DC. One of the things I've been doing lately is just trying to catch up, maybe dip my toe in the water a little bit again. Uh, that Hell on Earth thing looked kind of interesting, so I started to go back and read some of that, and I just have a real hard time with what they've done to Superman. I just, I don't, and I, I don't want to belabor it too much because it's beating a dead horse, and I've, I've said it, I've, I've gone on about it enough, but I just really don't like what they've done to Superman. I just don't find him very interesting, or as, as interesting as I used to, and to be honest with you, I didn't find him that, I didn't find it that interesting pre- uh, New 52 either, I think, bringing all the Kryptonians and bringing all that uh, pre-crisis stuff back in, I think, put a damper on it. But I'm, I'm going to push through it. But one book that I've had kind of sitting around for a while, and I got it when it first came out and I didn't read it, was Earth 2. And so I've, I've, I finally decided to go back and start rereading it, and I've got through the first four issues. And it's really good. Like, I really... I'm really digging it, and I think a lot of it just has to do with the fact that it's on, on obviously on a different Earth. It's it's kind of the inverse of what happened on the the prime Earth or Earth One, whatever you want to call it, where the original heroes were 
the Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, you know, Supergirl, which, you know, Power Girl and Robin, which Huntress. And of course, they end up coming to to the the prime universe, uh, you know, when at the very beginning of the book, basically Apocalypse invaded that Earth. The three main heroes, they call them Wonders, uh, which Wonder Woman, Batman and Superman were killed, stopping the 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 apocalypse, the parademon attack. That world it was pretty much forever changed based on the apocalypse's attack. There are large sections of the of the world that are uh, devastated. There's apoca rats, they call them, where they're they're like rats that are infected with some sort of apocalypse technology or uh, uh, virus, or or they literally came over from apocalypse. And so it's really the story of the origin of Jay Garrick, Alan Scott, Al Pratt, uh, Wesley Dodds. Uh, it's 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 kind See, of the, now those the are all names from DC continuity that I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so it's it's all there. So basically, instead of like in how it how it happened previously, is those were all the quote unquote pre crisis World War Two era heroes, and you know when that when DC kind of revamped it after crisis. The, everybody else became, you know, heroes in the modern age. They've kind of flipped it, um, and and it's really been interesting. I mean, Jay Garrick gets the power of the god Mercury, who is dying, and gives his power to the Flash. Um, Green Lantern is kind of interesting because it's it's like this. We're not really sure what is going on, but there's the Green, which we've seen in the regular universe with Swamp Thing and and Animal Man. And then there's the gray, and the gray is embodied by Solomon Grundy, so he's like the major threat right there. Um, we get Al Pratt, who we're not really sure exactly what his origin is, but he's he's kind of like a, a combination of Adam Smasher and the Adam. Like, he can literally grow to superhuman size and shrink himself down very small. So it's interesting. Wesley Dodds, the Sandman, actually he's in control of what they call Sandmen, who have the ability to kind of uh, teleport people in and out and, and fade them. But, but the world is really interesting, and I think a lot of it, again, is this um, mixing of techn- you know, the, these technological advancements due to uh, you know, constant war with apocalypse and some of that technology being left behind, and it's kind of like one world government thing going on. Um, but, it, but it's really interesting, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to stick with that. So I'm, uh, I, I decided this time when we talked I would not crap on DC for an entire hour <laughs> and try and uh, do something positive. So that that's my positive new 52 contribution for, for this month. Yeah. I've heard good things. I haven't gotten around to reading it yet. I recommend it. Well, that's good enough for me. <laughs> Have uh, you guys been reading East of West? I'm very first... behind. Yeah, I am too. I read the first couple issues, I think. Okay, well, I won't spoil too much except to say that issue six is out right now. Uh, over at Jersey Shore, Pierce and I are going to be releasing an episode in the next uh, month or so where we look at issues one through five. But issue six was pretty awesome. I've been loving East of West all the way through. But in issue six, uh, which is the, the beginning of the second trade, the second arc of the story, you're introduced to... Uh, the Texas Rangers, and we we already know that the, the U.S. in this alternate future, alternate history-based future, is split up very differently because the Civil War went very differently. You've got the Confederate States, the um, the the Union States. You've got Texas, which is its own thing. Uh, the Kingdom of New Orleans, which is a different thing. China owns the West Coast. You've got um, the endless nation of uh, Native Americans. So you've got a whole bunch of different factions, and we find out that the Texas Rangers still exist in this world. 
and they're kind of like the judges from Judge Dredd, and I won't get too far into it, but basically the story finds a way to meld Judge Dredd with the Lone Ranger with East of West, and it's awesome. They wear they wear cowboy hats with visors, a la Judge Dredd, and the cowboy hats slash helmets slash visors have built-in metal Lemmy-style mustaches. Nice. Like Lemmy from Motorhead. It is one of the coolest-looking things ever in the goofiest way possible, and I love it. So if you have not been reading East of West and you like Firefly or Westerns or Judge Dredd or The Lone Ranger or post-apocalyptic stuff or just Civil War history or comics in general, check it out from Hickman and Dragata. It is awesome. That Dragota art is insane. Oh my god, it's so good. And and who I forget who if I want to say it's Frank Martin on the colors. I, I might think be so. wrong. Yeah, I think so. But I, I liked Dragata on FF and the few issues he did over there. It was fine. It was bright and cheery and fit very well with that book and with the Marvel Universe and superhero comics. Frank Martin's colors on this turn it from bright and cheery, kinda goofy stylized to dark, foreboding, western, post-apocalyptic, um, what's the 2001 A Space Odyssey almost feeling and looking visuals. It is a, a drastic change. You can still tell it's the same artist, but it is so drastically different tonally, it might as well be a different artist. And I like him in both places, but here it really shines. Yeah, I can't wait to get caught up. Jim, uh, I, I see you read Avengers Endless Wartime. I saw the cover of that at my LCS this past week. I thought it looked pretty, but uh, was it worth reading? Yeah, it was okay. Uh, I like Warren Ellis, so I thought I'd give it a shot. And it's not his best thing. Uh, it's, it's Again, it's okay. It's like a standalone graphic novel type situation. Um, but I I don't know. It wasn't, like I said, it wasn't the best thing I've ever read by Warren Ellis. It, it was just okay. I give it a C. And it only focuses on some of the Avengers, right? So who's it focusing on, like Cap and Sharon Carter and stuff? Yeah, it's mainly focusing on the movie Avengers, especially Cap and Thor. What happens is they, they find these drone planes that are using both Nazi and uh, and Asgardian technology. So it kind of ties to both Cap and Thor. And um, A la the last episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Really? Kind of. Uh, uh, kind of. Okay. It was Tesseract technology and uh, Nazi craftsmanship. Hydra craftsmanship. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. I haven't gotten to watch it yet, so. It's good. It's good. I'm not really spoiling anything for you either. Cool. I like the episode quite a bit more than the pilot. Sweet. Uh, anywho. But yeah, that's 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 the gist, basically. And uh, like I said, it, it, it was just okay. It wasn't uh, something I, I would for, you know have you rush out and buy. Uh, but if you do, would like a recommendation for something I, that I really think you should go rush out and buy, would you like one? Uh, I would absolutely love one. Molly, Dan- fact, Molly Danger, two, dude. Molly Danger by Action Lab. Now, in the interest of full disclosure, I do do PR and social uh, media for Action Lab, okay? But even if I was in no way associated with, with uh, Jamal and Action Lab and all that, I would be so impressed with this that I would want to buy it myself. The, it's done in uh, um, the... I, I finally got my my copy of it this week at Pittsburgh Con. Um, it's an oversized hardcover, much in the style of the Tintin books, the European comics. 
um, the, the 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 colors and the, you know, the 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 paper, everything is is just top quality, top drawer, and the art and the story is just great. It's so fun, and it's all ages, but it's not stupid. You know what I mean? It's all ages, but it's something that I enjoyed being you know an old fart, uh, as old as I. I won't disclose my age, but everybody knows <laughs> everybody knows I'm the oldest man in podcasting, so. Uh, I enjoyed it myself. It, it's something a 10-year-old kid would love and enjoy as well. Uh, the artist by Jamal Eigel, if you know his work, I don't need to say anything else, but if you don't, look him up on the internet and you'll see why. That's a beautiful thing. Um, the story is great. It's super set up to Molly and her universe. There's a lot of deep story going on there, but yet it still has that sense of high adventure. Um, and, and the presentation is just spot on awesome. It's, it's available, uh, like I said, in a hardcover edition or digitally on Comixology for you know, ridiculously cheap price. I think that both the hardcovers broken up into two or three issues and each one of those is 99 cents. So. And you know what? I downloaded that first issue when you told us about it last time. I'd never got around to downloading it or to, to downloading or reading it. So I'm downloading it right now and uh, I'm going to check that out because the, the art is gorgeous. Yeah, Ma- Jamal is so talented. And I just wanted to say really quick, if, if you're going to New York Comic Con this year and I wish I were, um, Jamal Eigel, and Jim Hanley's Universe and Action Lab are teaming up to do a benefit for the Heroes Initiative. It's a benefit uh, book signing for Molly Danger and a party um, at Jim Hanley's Universe in Manhattan, one of the biggest comic stores in Manhattan. If you look up uh, the Action Lab website, you can find all the particulars and details there, or Jamal's website, uh, jamal-igol.com. But uh, I really have to recommend that book and shout it out because it's so well well realized and just really, really good. And uh, I'm all for quality comics, no matter who makes them. So. I'm neutral on quality comics. Really? <laughs> <laughs> no, not really. I also read Matt Fraction's Sex Criminals. Did you guys read that? No, but I like the cover. I, I, very creative use of circles to evoke genitalia. Yeah. Um, if that's a category in the duties this year, I don't know. It should but be. But it was a pretty cover. Well, from going from the sublime to the ridiculous, from Molly Danger to Sex Criminals... Uh, basically this will there be a crossover in action labs uh, future no i, I would can, hope I can not. say Thank no you. i can say uh most assuredly no uh it tells the story of this woman who finds out that when she um has sex she has this power to kind of stop time like freeze everyone in a certain radius um uh with this like weird disco ball uh effect type power it almost looks like the way they would draw the dazzler's power back in the day um and then uh, by, at the end, the end of the episode is her finding, or the end of the issue is her finding a guy who has the same power. And when they have sex, it's like multiplied, like the the sphere of influence, as it were, um, expands exponentially. So they decide to use their um, sex powers uh, as criminals, <laughs> and that's the setup of issue one of Sex Criminals. So um, I don't know; it could be a fun concept. It just seems kind of goofy. Yeah. Well, on the Fraction Tick, he, uh, as we know, is going over to be helming the Inhumans book and Inhumanity with the non-event, the kind of new status quo over at Marvel, um, which means he is leaving, or has left at this point, FF and Fantastic Four. Um, Fantastic Four continues to be fine, um, unremarkable, but fine. FF, though, has been great and continues to be great, but now it is an all all red team. Um, they're working on they're working off of Fraction's plots, but you got Mike all red on the art, Laura all red on the covers, and what is uh, his brother's name? Oh, 
Jesus. I forget what his brother's name is, but he's doing the writing. And you know what? The quality has not dropped a bit. Uh, the book continues to be awesome. I, I, I understand, Russ, you don't like All Red's art, but no, it, well, I am loving all aspects of FF can, uh, still to this to this day. Let me, uh, let me qualify that. I'm not a big fan of All Red on most superhero stuff. Um, he did iZombie for a long time with Chris Roberson, and I thought it was awesome. Uh, he, he did Ecstatics, and I thought it was awesome. Uh, so he, he's just one of those guys where I think certain things fit his art better than others. I agree with that, but FF, I think, is one of those things that fit his, it fits his art style very well because it's a little looser sensibility than the Fantastic Four proper book. Uh, it has a little more humor going on in it. It's a little lighter touch. I think I think Allred was a good fit. Personally, I've been a fan of Allred since Madman, uh, back in the day, like going back to the kitchen sink, Dark oh, yeah. Horse days. Um, and uh, I I thought his um, Metamorpho story was probably one of the high points of that Wednesday's comics that came out a few years ago. Yes, yes, definitely. Uh, he was a great fit for Metamorpho, that kind of silver age sensibility. Um, so I mean, I've been I've been reading everything he's been doing on FF, and I've been really enjoying it a lot. Um, also, something that might have been flown under a lot of people's radar, but I also really enjoyed was Phantom X Max. That's a new. Manga. I've been curious about that. I think I was going to wait on that one. It's uh, it's interesting. They kind of play Phantom X as more of a James Bond character, in a weird mm-hmm. way. Um, it's kind of cool. The art is the covers by Francesco Francavilla, which is mainly why I bought it oh, because man. I, I'm a yeah. huge fan of Francavilla. I, everything I see, he does, I grab. Uh, but that's what made me pick it up in the in the digital space. And uh, but it's written by Andrew Hope and the artist by Sean Crystal, and uh, it's it's definitely this kind of Max. It's 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 definitely got the Max series sensibility of like the Punisher or Fury Max. You know when they drop f bombs, sure, a lot more violence, uh, a lot you know higher stakes things like that. Uh, and it's Phantom X, which is a character I thought had a lot of potential from the Morrison run. That some people do really well, write really well, and some people don't. Like I thought that he was great in X Force, for example. But uh, it's 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 cool. It kind of has that kind of James Bond flavor, kind of that diabolic uh, flavor. If you're familiar with that European comics character, um, it's definitely uh, cool. If you're if you're a fan of the character, check it out. The art the art is really nice. It's nicer than I, I expected it to be, um, and uh, the story's kind of fun. So uh, Phantom X Max, I, I I do recommend that. I enjoyed it. Have they, uh, have they, did they, do they go into his origin at all? Does it mirror the 616 origin at all, or is it completely a new take? Or, I think or it hasn't been said yet? I think it's the same character because he has Eva and everything. So I'm, I'm pretty sure it's just the same character. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, yeah it, usually it, with the Max stuff, they, they, they twi- they put a bit of a twist usually on it. Yeah, I really don't see anything here that would contradict, you know, his continuity in X Men and stuff. I've been reading uh, Wolverine Max. I've read the first four issues of Wolverine Max, and uh, it has a very the Wolverine movie sensibility to it. Um, well, that makes sense. Yeah, it hasn't been too bad. It's 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 okay. Uh, you know, it's not blowing me away, but it's 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 pretty decent. Jordan should really be reading Quantum and Woody because if he liked the irredeemable Ant Man. And that kind of humor, um, Quantum of Woody is chock full of that kind of stuff by Valiant. Um, it's on my list. I know it's, it's on, on your list, list. but you know, <laughs> I'm just saying the Valiant titles come up on sale on Comixology pretty often. So keep your eyes keep true. your eyes peeled from you know those ninety nine cents sales or what have you. It's really funny. It's that kind of sensibility, and you know, 
the world's worst superheroes. I think I talked about it in the last show, so I won't go into it too much again. But um, the whole Valiant line is really strong. I've been enjoying a lot of their comics. Again, picking them up when they're on sale, picking up a few key issues here and there, um, uh, you know, at full price, but mostly waiting for the sales on Comixology. Um, also, Captain Midnight by Dark Horse came out of nowhere and just I just loved it. It was great. The, it's based on the old 40s serial character, Captain Midnight, obviously, you know, from the, the serial movies of the 40s, the cliffhanger movies where, you know, they would end and, you know, of course they'd be on the, uh, the brink of death, but of course by the next episode they would find their way out of it somehow. But basically, uh, this, in the, the, the premise of this is, uh, Captain Midnight, uh, disappeared during the height of the, uh, World War II. And now, you know, present day, 60 some odd years later, he comes out of the, he flies, he's flying his plane out of the Bermuda Triangle and with no memory <laughs> of, of, of what has happened in between. Um, and it's part of the mystery of the book. And the, it's by Joshua Williamson and the, the artist by Fernando Dagnino, who I was not familiar with before this. But kind of puts me in the mind of like a Steve Epting. It's just very clean lines, very well realized art. Uh, really cool. Alex Ross cover. I just really, I thought this was a lot of fun. It had a really a, a lot of action. It set up the characters really quickly and easily without, you know, weighing it under a lot of continuity. I mean, by the first few pages, you already knew who Captain Midnight and his world, you know, Captain Midnight was and his world. And, uh, you know, it just seemed to, it just seemed like a you know, well-crafted story, organic storytelling, you know, nothing um, you know, world-shattering about a good superhero comic. So Captain Midnight from Dark Horse, I believe. The Captain Midnight Zero issue is available digitally, and Captain Midnight One is the one I read, and it's available on the stands and digitally. So. Cool. I definitely recommend that. I've, just, I've been reading a lot of comics lately, and right now I'm working my way through one of my all-time favorite Marvel series. I know, Russell, you're a fan of it, too, because I, I was able to find the omnibus of it at uh, Pittsburgh Comic Con for a really reasonable price, uh, Squadron Supreme, uh, yeah. the original Squadron Supreme. Um, such good stuff. If you can get I mean, it is a little 80s heavy in its uh, you know exposition and writing. Uh, it, it, you know, it definitely is of its time, as it were. Oh yeah, but uh, it, it's definitely uh, worth worth reading, and definitely like uh, I don't know, it just it just really like set the table for so many things that came later in, in postmodernism and comics. So. And that I think that omnibus has the Death of the Universe stuff too, right? The it does. It has yeah, the Death yeah. Of the Universe. It has the uh, the graphic novel that came out later. It also has an appearance that they did in Thor after that. Um, yeah, it kind of continues that story. So. It's funny, Austin Books a couple years ago, they had a like a discount store and that space was getting demolished, so they had to move out and they everything in there to start with was fifty percent off of whatever the price marked was. And they started blowing stuff out and they had a ton of uh of Squadron Supreme and Death of the Universe trades and I think I waited until it was like eighty percent off of the fifty percent off price. And I got oh, yeah. it for like, yeah, I mean, I think I got both of them for like four bucks combined or something crazy like that. Um, I already had the I already had the trades of both of those and uh, that I snagged the cons before, and I got the omnibus for twenty bucks. That's a steal. Is, yeah, I, I pretty much you know I, I I pretty much stole it from the guy, so I was super happy to get a hold of that. But I mean, I mean, the Mark, that Mark Grunewald story just it just really um, like a lot of the same things that we talked about in Watchmen. You know, when we, sure. uh, when we, when we read it, I mean, it came out almost at the same time, a little bit before, you know, the first, 
I'm looking up here. The first issue came out in uh, September of 85. So if you don't know the story, it's basically analogs of the Justice League in their own um, you know, pocket universe, uh, alternate universe of Marvel, um, decide to take over and make the world better. Uh, very much like the Justice Lords episode of the Justice League cartoon or Watchmen or, you know, a lot of the th same themes that we saw in Watchmen we saw here. Um, so it, it was cool for me to find it in omnibus form, and now I'm rereading it. And like I said, it's a little exposition heavy, but I mean that's very much the way comics were written back then. Uh, it's just you know a, kind of a hazard of reading sure. comics from the '80s, but uh, it's very cool and full of fun ideas. And uh, plus, you know, as a DC fan, you can you know you look through it. Aha, you know that's an analog of the Green Arrow, or that's you know the analog of you know Black Canary, Lady Lark, you know. <laughs> It's pretty cool. Plus, the like I said, the, the death of the, the universe stuff that kind of ties it all up and puts a bow on it is pretty cool miniseries as well. So. Yeah, I think the Avengers tie-ins to the to all that was Busiek Perez, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, you are correct, sir. Yeah. And Russ, you've been reading an omnibus currently as well, aren't you? I am. It, it's funny. Probably in the next BS show, I'll have read. Not to get too into it but i, I i'm having kind of minor so shoulder surgery next week so it's going to lay me up for a couple weeks i'll be all out of work for probably two weeks maybe a little more and i really can't do anything so i'll probably be doing a crap load of reading um so i started i i've got like probably six or seven omnibus on my shelf that i just i haven't even read yet they're just kind of there um and i started with one that we've been talking about for a very long time uh, which is Hickman's Secret Warriors omnibus, and it it has all the issues of the series. It has all the tie-ins, the one shots, and everything. And I'm about seventy-five percent through it, and it is it is really really good. I mean, you guys definitely were on you know on the ball you know when you were talking about it. I read the 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 list issue back when it came out, but I didn't go I didn't go beyond that at the time. I was waiting for the omnibus. And uh, it's it's just really good. I mean, I'm a, I really like Nick Fury stories, and this is very espionage heavy. Um, I really like that Daisy Johnson character. She almost seems like an analog of a Maria Hill, but as a mutant. Um, but yeah, it's just it's just really good, solid stuff. The art has has been pretty solid throughout, uh, and I'm I'm really digging it. So I'm I'm really looking forward to to finishing that off, and then uh, uh, picking up one of the other ones next. Yeah, it's, it's a great story. I love, I think I mentioned this over email, but I love the running joke about Eden Fessy that is introduced in, in Secret Warriors and then picked up later in Avengers with him uh, really hating to have to wear Aboriginal clothing in Australia. Yeah. Uh, it's very, very yeah, amazing. Yeah. It, and uh, the, the story you're in right now, I know you're telling us before we started recording, but uh, the last ride of the Howling Commandos is... Awesome. I mean, it's a great book overall, but that is one of the high points. Is just this awesome multi-part story focusing on uh, the Howling Commandos, and it's it's really interesting because, and not to really spoil it, but the the story's told from the facet of uh, Dum Dum Dugan and uh, I, I is it is it is it Sitwell? I, I'm trying to think. It Jasper Sitwell. Uh, there's a uh, there's so many different agents. I forget yeah, there, I who's in charge. I think it's. I think you're right. I think it is Sitwell. I think I think it's it's Dum Dum and Sitwell appear basically testifying before the UN uh, on 
what they're doing because oh no it's John it's the guy with the robot arms it's John somebody oh Pierce yeah that, I think that's it yeah um anyway it's them testing before the testifying before the UN as to an in a an event that happened um and so the story kind of flips back and forth between their testimony and the events that actually happened and there's a lot of really cool banter especially with Dum Dum going at the the UN representatives of the of the security council on what happened and it's it's kind of a really interesting thought if if you if you kind of extrapolate it into the real world um especially given today's geopolitical climate the fact that there's this non-governmental organization that's out there basically waging war and making global political decisions because Nick Fury says so and and it and it's just really interesting like if you start thinking how this could play out in the real world and you know that that you know nobody would really stand for it and things like that it just it's it's just really kind of an interesting concept of of that i mean normally when we see these stories you know you'll they'll tell this fantastical story of you know shield having to go out into different parts of the world and do something and usually it's it's on some authority or some vague authority uh, but they're really putting the UN Security Council like front and center in the story and this testimony, front and center, and it just it just makes for an interesting narrative, in in my opinion, and I'm I'm really really enjoying that that aspect of it. Yeah, I have Johnny M to thank for turning me on to Secret Warriors back when it was coming out in the first uh, you know in, in uh, individual issues. Uh, he was like, "Hey, you should really check this out," and I thought it was just another secret. Uh, invasion tie-in, and you know, I guess you know, technically it was, but uh, it's a great story. I, I've ended up finding them all in uh, the individual trade hardcovers, um, so I have the you know the complete set, and uh, great story, great introduction to some of these characters that I hope you know get you know picked up by other characters, you know, other writers and stuff, and get incorporated into the Marvel universe. I'd love to see more of that. So, yeah, good stuff, man. So, Jim, I hear from our good friend Frank A. Rincon that uh, the Star Wars kind of stinky. Yeah. And not in a good, like, you know, strong cheese kind of way. Not in a Fritos way. No. Not in... <laughs> Which was Brad's uh, assumption. Right, right. Not in a... What he went to. Not in a kimchi kind of way. No. Not really. Um, basically, for, you to, for, for those that don't know, the Dark Horse uh, is publishing... A uh, comic based on the original, like first draft uh, screenplay uh, storyline slash concepts that George Lucas used uh, ended up deriving the Star Wars that we all know and love from. But these concepts, ideas, and stories are pretty far from the Star Wars that we know and love. It's more, it's very Flash Gordon-y, if that makes any sense. It's more. Uh, you're referring, of course, to the Savior of the Universe? Yes, exactly. Okay, yeah. I've heard of he him. saved every one of us. Um, <laughs> yeah, that guy. It's it's definitely more Flash Gordon-y than Star Wars. I mean, imagine if a Flash Gordon serial were set at Mos Eisley. That's the best way I can kind of describe the first couple of issues. It's just a little more... I mean, it's there actually are Star Wars, and there aren't any... There are characters that you know whose names you will recognize from the Star Wars uh, canon... But they're totally recast in most cases, and you know, I have almost nothing to do with their namesakes. You know, they're that character in name only. You know, I, I guess if you're a Star Wars completist, you definitely want to check it out. I, I liked it enough to get the second issue, but I don't know if I'm going to uh, make the leap to get the third. You know, what I mean, the the art is pretty nice, and um, 
some of the concepts are cool to see, you know, it's kind of quote unquote remixed, but, uh, not, not, not cool enough to keep me in a full freight price for digital. So it's yeah, tough... it's kind of, it's kind of stinky. Yeah. I, you know, I haven't, I've read some of the preview stuff and, and it looked, and that was more just to get the look than anything. Uh, I think I mentioned this before, but I've, I've read, there's a book called the annotated screenplays. Uh, and for each one of the books, and obviously, a New Hope has the most annotations because it, it went through the most revisions. And by, by the time you got to Empire and Jedi, the basic premise of the series had been set, and most of the major plot points have been have been kind of carried out. But there were a lot of annotations for A New Hope, and a lot of it re- revolved around the different characters. And, and they talk a lot about how they changed from where they were to where they are now. And a lot of those concepts are what they're using for the Star Wars uh in this and it's it's written by jw rinsler who has done the recently he's been as the 30th anniversary of each of the movies has come out he's been doing those oversized uh making of books he also put together the visions book that we talked about on a on a previous show uh before so he's very familiar and has a lot of ties into lucasfilm directly but yeah so it's one of those that uh, I just haven't gotten around to reading it yet. I'm I'm kind of a Star Wars completist, especially from Dark Horse. I've, I have pretty much every comic they've ever put out since they they got the license. So I'll, I'll definitely be getting this as well. But uh, but yeah, I'm kind of a little disappointed that it's not so good. But it's it, it's it's kind of a tough act to follow, right? I mean, you know, we have so many preconceived notions about what Star Wars is, and for for something to go back and kind of tell an untold tale is 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 a tall order yeah but it's a brand new story a brand new continuity and it has almost nothing to do with the original continuity that we already know and love and it just i don't know it 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 isn't it isn't different enough or the same enough to be interesting to me does that make sense i mean if it was the same as as like the star wars that i love then i could roll with it if it was something totally different than anything i'd ever seen before then i could probably roll with it but it's just it's neither you know just enough to aggravate you, huh? Well, not enough to get me to buy it. How about that? <laughs> that makes sense. That definitely makes yeah. sense. Yeah. So you want to do some Spider-Man Corner? Jordan's Spider-Man Corner? That's a terrible name. I need a better name. Yeah, than that. Spider-Man You need Corner a jingle. The, the web. Jordan's Jordan's web. <laughs> yeah, that, that just seems like a really awful children's book. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so on the Spider-Man tick, because as listeners know, I'm a big Spider-Man fan. I'll make this quick because this has already been a long episode. But Superior Spider-Man is currently fighting uh, Spider-Man 2099. Did you guys read the 2099 books when they came out? Um, some of them. I, I did read Spider-Man 2099 because Peter David originally wrote it. Right. Um, so I read it like for the first six or ten issues, I think, but didn't really hold my uh, interest. I read... All of the X Men 2099. I read bits and pieces of the others, uh, you know, here and there. But but I didn't read a lot of Spider Man 2099. Maybe like out of all the run, maybe five or six issues uh, total. I would say. Gotcha. And I, I had read most of the issues. Granted, not when they were being published because I was like eight. But um, I've picked them up since that. Since then, and uh, quite enjoyed quite a few of them anyway. And what Dan Slott has done with the 2099 books, this is the original Miguel O'Hara 2099 universe we're dealing with here. It's not a different version. It's the 2099 Miguel O'Hara Spider-Man. 
And, you know, we, we talked about, like, when Doc Ock became Spider-Man and all that kind of stuff, how Slot had been setting that up for a long time. You come to find out he's been setting up this crossover of 2099 for pretty much just as long. Um, if you remember the, the, the company of Alchemax, which was the kind of evil corporation that uh, Spider-Man was constantly fighting in the year 2099, um, he worked that into continuity in a really awesome way. Um, let's just say the Al in Alchemax is short for Alan, as in Liz Allen. And there is, and the chem is from chemical, uh, from Osborne chemical. Um, so there's a lot of fun stuff with that. Tiberius stone, Ty stone, Tyler stone, and how that's all tied in with, uh, Spider-Man 2099's father and time travel and all that kind of stuff. I, I don't want to get into it too much because if you know what I'm talking about, it would be spoilers. And if you don't know, it's probably not that important to you, but for anyone who was a big fan of Spider-Man 2099, um, this was really fun to be reading. It's not done yet, the story, but it's fun to read, and it's really cool to see how well Slot is tying it into Peter David's old stuff, and how well it all fits, and how long he's been setting it up. So that's a spectacular Spider-Man. Before you go into the next Spider-Man stuff, um, it's amazing to me that how many of these old ideas are coming back. New Universe, uh, the 2099 characters... Um, Captain Universe, you know, all these Hyperion, you know, like, it's just all these things being threaded back into the Marvel system is, is really cool. I love it. Everything old is new I again. I suppose so. Please continue. <laughs> continue with your web. Um, Superior Foes of Spider-Man continues to be a ton of fun. A, a book I was not planning on buying, but I'm really, really enjoying it. Um, it's focusing on Boomerang, Speed Demon, uh, the new current Beetle, um, uh, Shocker and Overdrive, I Overdrive. think, is all of them. There's not actually five of them in this particular group of the Sinister Six, um, which is a, a joke that comes in quite heavily in issue number three, which I just finished. Or three or four. I don't actually have it in front of me. Whichever one came out Wednesday. Um, it involves the Heroes for Hire, uh, the Luke Cage and Iron Fist versions who come into uh, break up the party and a lot of really fun stuff. And I'm sorry to make you bleep this, but the end of the issue gave me a literal out loud, holy <laughs> moment. Cause I was not expecting the way the issue ended. It took an abrupt heel turn in the best possible way. And I've got to know what happens next. So that was, uh, that was superior foes of Spider-Man. Yeah. And then Venom and Scarlet Spider, both going strong, both very interesting. Um, Scarlet Spider right now is Kane versus um, the Cravens, which makes a lot of sense if you read the Gauntlet storyline from The Amazing Spider-Man a few years back. And Venom is him and Mania and uh, the whole um, uh, Circle of Hell, or Circles of Hell, I think it was called. Storyline is coming back to haunt him in a big way. But what's interesting to me about the stories, um, beyond what's going on in them, which is very fun, is that both books are ending very soon. And what that may have to do with Superior Spider-Man, is Peter coming back, are some of the roles going to be switched around uh, between Kane and Flash Thompson and uh, Spock, and you know who's going to be who? We don't really know at this point, but it looks like big changes are right around the corner in the Spider-Man universe. So we don't know what that's going to be. And then the only other one I read um, is Superior Spider-Man Team-Up, which was, like I said, an Infinity tie-in. It was fun. It's no, it's by no means necessary reading if you're just trying to follow the main Infinity storyline, but it was a lot of fun. Um, it was Spider-Man, uh, Spock Spider-Man, defending New York from Thanos' um, minions 
when a new superhero is created, can't control their powers, and you have a story that you might have seen many times with Peter Parker having to deal with a brand new hero and teaming up with them and guiding them on their way. But this time, it's uh, it's Spock, and it's a very different result, but maybe not in the way you'd think. It, it was very interesting to me. I enjoyed it quite a bit. Like I said, no, by no means is it necessary reading for Infinity, but if you like Spider-Man and you like Spock, um, a book I'd recommend. And it's two-parter, so we only have the first part. That's on that. the abbreviation you're going with, is Spock for us. Spock's the one I see most often online, spider Ock, and spider. Uh, it's just the shortest, so Occam's Razor. Uh, not not literally Occam's Razor. I know literary enthusiasts are very mad at me for saying that, but you know what I mean. It's a literary Occam's Razor. Economy of speech. How about that? Okay. That that's what I got. That's 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 Jordan Spider Man Corner. Do 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 do. We do have to come up with better theme music. Theme. Maybe the Amen. Maybe the Brown Widow uh, music from Venture Brothers would work. <laughs> <laughs> oh, with Nathan Fillion, that'd be awesome. Uh, that would be amazing. Gentlemen, are we all comics BS'd out for the month of October? Yeah, I'm ready to get back to some Grand Theft Auto. I'm ready to go to bed. Uh, yeah. Play Grand Theft Auto. It's much better than going to bed. Well, <laughs> uh, we'll have to agree to disagree. I'm a big fan of not being conscious. <laughs> All right. So, happy 250th episode, everybody. Yeah, yeah here's, the, here's the 250 more. And, and to you two, it's been about five years. So, happy fifth anniversary uh, for uh, your love together. No, for uh, the LOD. Yeah. Well, uh... <laughs> Love I guess September. Yeah, September '08. I think is is when it all started. So. So yeah, here we are. Yeah, no doubt. Awesome. So is this the plastic anniversary? You guys giving each other flatware? Um. You get some uh, vintage vinyl records. Do you know what those are? <laughs> I'm familiar with them. They're like big CDs, right? right? Yeah, that you can eat dinner off of. Right. I think Pretty that's much. how that works. They're, They're making a and comeback. And prisoners can turn them into, like, bowls. They're making a huge comeback. Final's making a big comeback. They are. It's yeah. old as new. Mm-hmm. Everything old is new again. Time to pull out the laser desk player, people. <laughs> uh, let's not get overboard. Or go overboard there. Uh, clearly, we've devolved into uh, insanity, so who wants to send us home? Well, if you would like to contact us, you can hit up our Facebook group. Look for Longbox of Doom on Facebook. You can go to hhwlod.com and check out all of the podcasts we have on the network. LOD, Real Heroes, uh, Jordan's Jersey Shore, The Shield Podcast, Walking Dead TV Podcast. Walking Dead's coming back, so we'll be back on the weekly train of The Walking Dead pretty soon. Um, If you've recently caught up on Breaking Bad, uh, go to the hhwlod.com website and check out the episodes we did on uh, the final eight episodes of Breaking Bad that we called Los Podcast Hermanos. Uh, so you can check that out. We've got the black box out now with Aaron and Abe. And you can send us an email if you want to reach us at LOD at HHWLOD.com. So until next time, where we will discuss either more BS or possibly finally get on that Hickman FF train. More than likely, though, it will be Infinity number four. Um, but we'll be back soon to discuss more comics on the Longbox of Doom. When you least expect it, or probably when you do expect it.
Have a good week, everybody. We are the danger. We are the ones who podcast. <laughs> a lot. Yes.